G'day and welcome to Happy Little Histories, the show that wonders why Australians do the things we do and looks back at history to find out. Why are Australians so good at surfing? How come we love beer? And why have we all played a game of cricket against the willy bin at Christmas time? Join us this series for all that and heaps more. I'm your host, Jordan Funker. I'm a historian, teacher, and struth mate, fed ink and I've been flat out like a lizard drinking Savo. I've hardly had time for Smoko. Didn't get to scoff me, Sanger or Bicky, but I'm still stoked to be here. If you understood all that, you're probably pretty familiar with Australian slang. But where did our accent come from? Why do we love to use nicknames? And why do we swear all the bloody time? This is the happy little history of Australian slang. This episode, we're joined by linguist Mary Main, who is so knowledgeable and generous with her time. Thanks, Mary. Now I want to acknowledge right off the bat that while the language words and accents we're talking about in this episode will be very Anglo-centric, Australia is hugely multicultural with a vast range of different languages and accents that are all equally important and equally Australian, including, of course, 250 plus Indigenous languages and up to 800 dialects. Unfortunately, it's very hard to include all that complexity in one short podcast, so I hope you'll forgive the broad brushstrokes. So, where did the standard Australian accent come from? Author Kel Richards says, broadly speaking, we can credit a social process called dialect levelling. Leveling essentially happens when speakers of different dialects or varieties of a language spend time together and their dialects start to mix and merge. The most prominent different features are reduced, each group kind of compromising to make cross-communication easier. Dialect levelling has been observed all around the world and more or less explains the way Creole languages formed. In Australia, this takes us back to the British invasion in 1788. The first fleet and subsequent arrivals brought people from extremely different dialect areas. Think about how many different British accents there are, and here they were all suddenly trying to understand each other. They had to pick different words and dial their accent differences down, but it goes further than that. The Australian English formed around this time also incorporated elements from different parts of society as their interactions increased. Military slang, criminal slang like a thieves dialect called flash, and indigenous words all added to the blender. Just in terms of kind of the existence of different dialects at all, it's just because language changes. Like people are always changing the way they speak. People need words to name unique concepts or things that might not exist in the place where their language originally came from. Like, obviously, you need to borrow a word into English for a kangaroo if you are coming to Australia from Britain. Something that a lot of people know about accents, but it's something that often we don't think about, except in really extreme cases, is that the main differences between a lot of accents is vowels. And so, of course, with Australia, it's kind of those really, like, round vowel sounds some particular processes that went on to kind of change the vowel sounds. And so, yeah, those are really the, the marks of accent for the most part. This new accent basically kept bubbling along naturally as the immigrant population increased until around the 1880s, about 100 years after the First Fleet, when a particularly formal type of English known as Received Pronunciation, or RP, started to be seen as very important and right – Compulsory schooling was introduced in Australia at this time and often focused heavily on proper pronunciation and elocution, much to the chagrin of working class children and families who were harshly judged and even punished for speaking otherwise. 
While this focus eventually faded, the Australian accent was altered, some may say smoothed, to varying degrees depending on a person's socioeconomic status, and some connotations of class still exist in our accents today. Basically, if people use language in a particular way, then that is grammatical, we say. So in linguistics, the word grammatical means something very different than it does in your elementary school English class. Because as linguists, we don't like to be prescriptivists. We like to be descriptivists. So we do not prescribe what grammar you should use and what grammar is good. We describe how people use language and decide that basically if a community is using a particular term or using language in a particular way, We just try to figure out how that works rather than say kind of pointing at a particular dialect and saying that dialect is bad because they do such and such. I mean, in Canadian English, I can think it's very common if somebody uses the word ain't. It's like, oh, you ain't got no cheese at the store. Like sometimes people would say, oh, that's not correct. But it's so big in linguistics to say that like all dialects are equal, there's no such thing as some sort of good standard right dialect, especially because every single person speaks differently. Every single region or class or group might have slightly different ways of speaking. And it's important that we treat all those equally because if people understand what is being said, what could be wrong about that? In some ways, ideas of class and equality have shaped the sense of informality that permeates Australian English. As a rule, for a number of reasons, including differentiating ourselves from Britain and tall poppy syndrome, which seeks to cut down or humble anyone seen as self-important or arrogant, we don't like anything that conveys superiority, and that includes language. The shortening of words, and especially of names, helps achieve this shared informalisation. Australian linguists Evan Kidd and Greg Dixon call it hypercharistic naming, which involves usually cutting a word off at the first syllable and adding an A or O to the end. For example, my name Jordan becomes Jordo, while David gets Davo, McDonald's is Maccas, and so forth. They explain that this comes unstuck with names that have an R in the middle because of what's called roticity. While roticity sounds like a method for cooking chicken, it's actually the technical term for how the letter R is pronounced in different accents. Australian English is non-rotic, which means the R sound isn't pronounced. In Australian English, you would change the length of the vowel to kind of reflect where an R maybe was in the past. And so when you were saying car and shark back then, you weren't just saying car, you were saying car. So, in names like Sharon or Harry, cutting off the end in typical hypercharistic fashion makes them sound incomplete. Shar, ha. So, we sub in the hard sound of Z, making Shazza or Hazza. Now, we can hardly talk about Australian language without talking about swearing. But don't worry, I won't say any of the really rude words. This is a family show. Swearing is almost as old as language itself, with examples recorded in ancient Egypt, Greece and Rome. Swearing can be broadly categorised into the religious, the sexual, the bodily and the discriminatory. Most languages favour words in one category or other, but Australian swearing pretty much runs the gamut. We do have our favourites though. Dr Amanda Laugerson has done fascinating research in this area. 
She recounts how in 1847, a British visitor to Australia by the name of Alexander Marjorie Banks wrote disdainfully in his book that bloody was the great Australian adjective and calculated that the average bullock driver would use it over 18 million times in his life. The bullock driver was one of the great Australian cultural archetypes of the 19th century famed as swearers, alongside bushmen, gold miners and larrikins, who were rowdy youth usually involved in street gangs. So, by the early 1900s, we had a broad reputation for swearing, with terms like colonial oath and Australian language being used to describe it. But perhaps the biggest influence on swearing in Australia and our speech in general was to come with war. War has always been a major force in changing the language of countries around the world, as different nationalities travel, interact and behave in ways obviously outside the norm. Australian soldiers, for example, adopted many Arabic and French expressions during World War I. Much of the slang developed during war does not stick long term, since it's often very context specific, but some definitely does. Diggers, the term for Australian soldiers in World War I, is one example, as well as Anzac, In fact, the term Aussie was first recorded during the war, and friendship words like cobber and mate gained huge uptake. Dinkum was used for something real or true, while furphy meant a rumour or lie. As for the swearing, in 1916, Joseph Beeston wrote of the Anzac that profanity oozes from him like music from a barrel organ. Why was that? Well, the masculine culture of war lent itself to more informal and inappropriate language that was considered improper at home among women and children. And expert Anne Linder notes the psychological properties of swearing and its use as a coping mechanism, both in giving soldiers a small sense of rebellion against the strict limitations of their environment and in processing the stress of being surrounded by death. Studies show swearing activates different parts of the brain than clean language, almost like the fight-or-flight response, and that people can withstand pain better when they swear. So, perhaps as well as having a more general sense of informality, it could be said that Australians swear more than other countries because we use it to overcome more hardship. While some may associate swearing with a lack of intelligence, research has shown that this is not the case and it doesn't affect vocabulary size. Now, speaking of vocabulary, it's time for the regular segment we call Slang Shot. Slang Shot is the game where our guest quizzes us on some slang and we get a shot to see how many we can guess right. Since our guest, linguist Mary Main, is from Canada, this episode I figured what better way to explore slang than to compare words from opposite sides of the world. I did live in Canada for five years, so I'm sure to have the advantage here, but play along at home and see how many you can figure out. First, I'll ask Mary five Australian words, then she'll ask me five of her own, eh? The first Australian slang word I have for you, Mary, is bogan. Do you know what bogan means? No. I get the feeling that it is a a noun that refers to a specific type of person maybe Mm-hmm. yeah do you have any hints for me oh they're a real I... bogan they are such a bogan <laughs> they're either somebody who's really great or really <laughs> like a drag like they're just not a fun person i don't know 
Yeah, you're kind of on kind of on the right track with the second one. It's like somebody who's really uncultured or unsophisticated, like a lower class person or someone who has really bad taste. I think the equivalent in the US, and I'm not sure what the Canadian one would be. It's like a redneck. Okay, I feel like we've got redneck here too. The origins of Bogan are pretty unclear, really, but people think that it might come from the Bogan River, which is in western New South Wales. And the idea was that people who lived in the western suburbs of Sydney in the 70s and 80s would be saying that they were acting as west as the Bogan River. So they sort of started calling each other Bogans as a bit of a a derogatory sort of slang. You're really uncool. You're really a Bogan. Oh, my goodness. I'm not Uh, feeling confident about my knowledge of Australian slang, though. (laughs) (laughs) oh well here we go here's the second one whoop whoop what do you reckon whoop whoop means i mean that's just the the sound that you make when you're excited (laughs) 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 yeah yeah uh if you're gonna Um, use it in a sentence you'd say oh she lives out whoop whoop what (laughs) yeah yes it's a fictional place. There's nowhere actually called Whoop Whoop. It just means somewhere that's really far away, usually isolated and rural. Another thing we would say is beyond the black stump. And I think the Canadian equivalent might be the sticks or the boonies. Oh, yeah. And I think the sticks in particular might refer to like in the middle of the woods, like in a forested area. Whoop Whoop's sort of nowhere in particular, kind of outback insinuation um and it's the name of yeah a fictional place it's probably influenced by real places often indigenous place names in australia like wagga wagga is a real place and apparently saying somebody lives out whoop whoop dates back to the early 1900s in australia so that's a real old piece of slang i love that it has survived so long all right number three dax what can you use it in a sentence oh pull your dax up it sounds like an item of clothing. Yes. And if you're going to pull it up, it's probably either undergarments or is it trousers? Yes, it is. Specifically tracksuit trousers or what you would call in Canada sweatpants. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Dax is actually short for tracky Dax, which is short for <laughs> tracksuit Dax. <laughs> um, possibly. Yeah, so your sweatpants, your tracky dax, or just your dax. Possibly that one originates from the rhyme being tracksuit, tracky dax. But there was also a a British clothing brand in the 1930s called Dax, D-A-K-S, who were known for their trousers that they made. Um, And their name might have been a portmanteau of dad's slacks, so dax. But dak is also a verb, so you wear your daks, but you can also dak somebody, which is like a stupid schoolyard prank where you pull somebody's pants down. So it's kind of got two meanings, that one. Now, the fourth one I have for you is Buckley's. Like the cough syrup? I have never heard of the cough syrup, so no, not like the cough syrup. And you'd probably say, you've got Buckley's, mate. Oh, is it like, um, like guts or gumption? Kind of the opposite. You'd you'd tell somebody you've got Buckley's chance, or the other saying is you got two chances of that. Buckley's and none. Pretty much means oh. you got no hope. You got no chance of something <laughs> happening. It's basically something impossible. Okay. And the origin of that one's kind of interesting. There was a convict, William Buckley, who managed to escape from Port Phillip in 1803 and escaped and went to live with the Wadawurrung Aboriginal people for 32 years. 
So obviously a really rare and lucky thing to have happened because, I mean, most convicts who escaped were caught or shot. But William Buckley managed to do the impossible and survive. So we sort of turn that around. And if you've got no chance of something or it's pretty much impossible, you tell someone you got Buckley's. Now, the fifth one I've got for you, you actually have this word in Canada too, but it means something totally different in Canada than here in Australia. The word is goon. Now, I know in Canada, a goon is like somebody on a hockey team, like a tough hockey player whose job is to be like an enforcer to protect their teammates by fighting with the other team. But in Australia, goon is a totally different thing. When you said goon, my first thought was like, oh, like a goofy person who just like does ridiculous things. We sort of have that usage as well, but this is a thing that's kind of part of uh, Australian culture. And not a person. No, not a person, an an object or an item. Okay, I'm just thinking of, like, Australian things. Is it a boomerang? (laughs) (laughs) No. Australian teenagers, they might be getting on the goon. Is it, like, a four-wheeler or an ATV? (laughs) No, but I love these guesses. It is cask wine, like wine in a silver bag (gasps) inside a box. You know, boxed wine, really cheap. Oh, yeah. Really cheap, really bad wine, usually drunk by teenagers, but they talk about the goon sack, or the goon is your box of wine. Oh, goon sack. It's <laughs> terrible. It really is. Um, one possible origin for the word goon is a shortening of the word flagon, or flagoon. So a flagon of ale, or, or a flagon was like a big jug or a bottle. So people think that it may have been a shortening of that word. Oh my goodness, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> We're going to ace the Canadian slang. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. So number one is one that I feel a lot of people know. So it is a loony. Good old loony. Spent a couple of these in my time. A loony is what the Canadians call a $1 coin because it's got a picture of a little bird on it. And the bird is kind of like a duck, but it's called a loon. So the coin with the loon on it is called a loony. Toonie? Two loonies. That's just great. Okay, are you ready for number two? Which somehow I ended up making these a little number oriented at the start because the second word or phrase that I have for you is double-double. Double-double. Yes. I got to say I know this one as well. This is a coffee with two sugars and two creams. Yeah. Typically a Tim Hortons coffee. (sighs) Timmy's Tim Hortons. Oh, so good. Yeah. Canadian coffee shop. Started by a hockey player, isn't that right? Yeah, and as a bonus coming off of that, we've sometimes got like single, single, triple, triple. I've heard of quadruple, quadruple, or like <laughs> no. eight by eight. Gross. Um, I only heard of an eight by eight one time of somebody who worked at Tim Hortons and somebody ordered an eight by eight. So oh. eight creams, eight sugars. Went straight to the hospital afterwards, I'm guessing. <laughs> Probably. Number three, it is pop. Pop is what I used to call my grandfather, but I I think in the Canadian context, a pop is a soda pop or a soft drink. We'd say soft drink or a fizzy drink. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one might extend a little bit into the northern United States, but it is definitely the typical name for soda in Canada. Now, this next word, actually the next two, are kind of more regional. And so from central Canada, from Saskatchewan, we have bunny hug. 
all the Canadian words are so cute and all the Australian words are so awful. <laughs> I actually have heard this one too and I have loved it ever since I heard it and I'd forgotten about it until just now. But a bunny hug is a hoodie, um, like a hoodie jumper with the pocket in the front. Yeah, hood, pocket, no zipper. Bunny hug. That's so nice. Someone needs to start a brand of hoodies called bunny hugs here, I think. I might do that. Oh, you should. All right. And the last one, number five, is specific to the Maritimes or Atlantic Canada. And this one's a phrase. And that phrase is fill your boots. Tell your boots? Fill your boots. Fill your boots. I'm wondering if I can just remember that from Canada or if we actually have that here as well. Does it mean to eat a lot? Like have your share, eat eat as much as you want? That is one meaning. That's part of the meaning, but it's kind of broader than that. Okay. Um, that's all I can think of. So it's kind of just like, go for it. Help yourself. Typically it is to do with like taking food or like, I don't know, there's some free stuff on the side of the road. Might be applicable in like an even more general sense. I don't know, like, hey, can I use your bicycle today? Fill your boots. Like, as much as you want. That's great. How did you go? Anything you think you'll start using? Now let's hear some final thoughts from Mary about why slang is so important. From a more social standpoint, dialect is something that people use sometimes to show that they belong to a specific community. So you will use the particular accent and the particular words of your community to show that, like, I belong. For you, as a young Australian person, you might use particular words that show the people around you that, like, I am a young Australian person. Thanks for joining us this week on Happy Little Histories. I would like to acknowledge the Litter Mariner people on whose land it was recorded. Thanks to Penny Hodgson for our theme music and to Mary Main for being our linguistic expert. If you'd like to get in touch or stay up to date with all things history, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Happy Little Histories or send an email to happylittlehistories at gmail.com. Until next time, stay happy.